meaning the passage from which we read. And I want you to see something in particular in verse 24. Look at the question which is asked to Jesus by those who came around Him. It says, Then came the Jews round about Him, round about Jesus, and said unto Him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? And uh, to me, that's a, uh, quite, a, quite a statement. They look at Jesus and say, why are you making us doubt? And I want to speak tonight on a very straightforward and simple subject. I'll speak to you on the subject of blaming God. Blaming God. And uh, you pray with me as we get into this. Father, guide my words and help me to be helpful as only the Scripture clearly explained can be. And Lord, may I not divert from anything that needs said, nor Lord, may I add to anything that should not be here. Bless your people. Have a hunger for your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll keep drawing those who do not have that hunger. And Lord, that you would, uh, you would show how good you are, that they may have an appetite for you. Ask in Christ's name. Amen. Blaming God. It is, it's all too common human trait. It's sad, but it is a fact. And uh, I said something on Sunday about sad case of the Americans. And then I paused and I said, we're Americans. And so I say it's a sad but established fact that it's too common of a trait to blame God. And uh, may I say to you, we are people. So we're not talking about some abstract thought or some group out there somewhere. We're talking about us here in this room. Those who listen. A very sweet and precious text from a brother in the Philippines on yesterday. A pastor there. And he said, Brother Manning, just listen to your message. And he said it was a message from Sunday. And he mentioned that it was a blessing and it helped him. I'm glad for that. But wherever you are, whether it be you who are assembled here together or someone else, it is a fact that it's way too, human, way too common of a human trait to blame God. There are various degrees of blaming God, but all of them should be avoided. And so tonight, I'm going to give us some scriptural examples, and from these we can, we can learn to uh, stop this in our lives and not allow it to develop. Or if it has developed, learn how to come back from it and do what we ought to do. And start loving our God instead of blaming our God. Start worshiping our God instead of blaming our God. Start being a witness for our God instead of blaming our God. And uh, we're going to start from the mildest example. In fact, the, the first one I give you, uh, it might almost be said... The words more indicate frustration and hurt than truly blaming. But the words do blame in a sense. And a lot of times a, uh, a large room can be entered into by a very small door. <laughs> in other words, us starting down a certain trail of speaking and thinking can put us into a way of thinking that we maybe would not have chosen to do that. But we open the door to, to go that way. 
And so I'm going to give you some of these things with it and just Bible examples throughout tonight. Look in John chapter 11. We're there in 10 going over to 11. And you have the two, brother, uh, two sisters, rather, Mary and Martha, who I preached about not that long ago. And of course, their brother, you know his name. What was her brother's name? Lazarus. And you know what happened. I'll not go into the details. He became very ill. They sent for Jesus. By all indications of how you can recount the thing, Lazarus died probably shortly after the messengers were sent. Christ tarried his coming, then came to where they were, and uh, one at a time, the two sisters, that was a very tight-knit household, both the sisters had sent for Jesus, and each one according to their personality, Martha ran out to meet Jesus as soon as she knew He was near. That was her. That's her personality. And Mary sat still in the house until word was sent to her, said, the Master calls for you, and then she went out to meet Jesus. And these two sisters are about as different temperamentally as you can get. I mean, their approach to things is just so different. And you know households like that. Maybe your household is that way and such. My wife is uh, very different in the way she approaches things than her sister is and always has been at all levels. And uh, even though raised in the same house and same mom and dad and the same, you know, same church they attended and everything, they just have a different way of going about things. That's the way Mary and Martha were. And uh, they went out to meet Jesus, but it's remarkable that they both said the exact same thing to Jesus upon first seeing Him when He comes after their brother had died. And let's look at what they said. Look in verse 21. Martha, the first one out there, then said Martha unto Jesus. Remember talking about blaming God. But can you see she's heartbroken? Can you see that maybe there's more desperation in this statement? Maybe all this could have been avoided. I, I, I tend to think of that. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So even in this slight opening of a door of blaming, I think one of the most redeeming things is the fact that she had such confidence in the Lord. But even a lady who had that much confidence in the Lord she, she stated as a fact, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, she's like, that wouldn't have happened. But even then, she ran out to meet Jesus and that's the first thing she said. So there is a bit of blame being laid there, isn't it? You weren't here. And he died. But wait a minute. <laughs> you say, well, that's Martha. She's kind of impetuous. She's kind of female. Uh, has the same type of personality Peter does but the female version of it. And you know, uh, he, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing she'd say. Well, Mary's a very contemplative lady, very worshipful towards the Lord, takes her time, apparently thinks through things. Verse 32, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying unto Him, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She didn't hear Martha say that, but she said the same thing. Because I'm telling you, it is inherent to our human nature to put some form of blame on God for so many things that go wrong. We are not by any means entirely trusting creatures. 
Say, well, you can't afford to be. You get killed that way. Well, I think living in a broken world enhances that problem. But they both said the same thing. Martha ran out, apparently saw him and said it. You know, she's right there. Mary falls down and worships. Their posture is different. Their approach is different. The speed at which they went to Jesus is different. But they both said the same thing. And so I find even in this mildest, Example here, that they were blaming God. Now they didn't have, uh, I, be, I believe, some of the derisive tone uh, that seems to come across in our text. Uh, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Yeah, saying to Jesus, if you be the Son of God, tell us. You, why we don't believe because you're not telling us. They said that to Jesus when we read that uh, out of John uh, chapter ten, didn't they? What did Jesus say? I told you, and you didn't believe. Right, So he direct rebuke with them. When Mary and Martha come, he does not rebuke either of them. And what he actually does is he says things to them to draw their faith more strongly onto himself and to give them assurance of himself. But this thing of blaming God can start very mild. And uh, we ought to be careful with it. I... Contrary to what it may seem like occasionally, I, I, don't, I don't nitpick words. I play with them in my mind sometimes. And go, it's just what I do. But somebody says something, they don't phrase it exactly the same way, or exactly the right way, like I just did. And, you know, I'm not sitting there waiting to catch somebody in that. But there, I'll give you an example of this in a different area about the thing of blaming God and how we ought to seek to so love our God that we don't blame Him even in a mild form. That ought to never be our approach. Um, in another example, but it shows what I'm talking about, there's something, and I don't know who I've said it to within the congregation, somebody's reading or studying a passage where we're reading together as a church and that sort of thing, and they say, well, that verse doesn't make any sense. It would be unusual, unless they're in the middle of a sentence, I just don't want to be rude and interrupt, it would be unusual for me not to call that if I hear it. Say, what do you mean? Usually, because I'm not trying to rebuke, I'm trying to stop somebody's train there and make them think for a second. Usually my statement is something like this. Are you sure it doesn't make sense or do you just not understand it? Say, Preacher, why are you picky about that phrase? Because if I say any part of this Bible does not make sense, I am impugning, I I am laying fault at the author's feet. I have written things hoping to be clear and explaining and realize by rereading it or having somebody else read it that what I, what I had written didn't make a lick of sense at all. It made sense to me. So I guess if I was just writing the note to myself, I'd be good. But I'm trying to communicate something to somebody else. If I set aside a book, I'm not going to read it. I'm like, this author doesn't know what they're talking about. this is not the kind of author I want influencing me and I set it aside, which I do on occasion. I'm making a judgment about that author. I'm making a judgment because of that author's words about that author. If I say about my Bible, well, that doesn't make any sense. Really? Because I don't comprehend it? It doesn't make sense? Hmm. 
it is so much more in keeping with the Scripture and it is so much more healthy to say something along the lines of, I don't understand this. I don't get how that fits. <laughs> I don't see how that fits with something else in the Bible. I don't understand what that's saying. Because guess what? That recognizes that the lack is on my behalf, not on the one who wrote the book. Okay, now think about that example and think about this thing of blaming God. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. He said, well, they were very upset. Their brother died. They wondered why Jesus wasn't there. I get that. And I said that at the beginning. But can you see how in the smallest example of blaming God? Well, I don't know why God didn't do something about that. At the very least, my friends, if we do that, we crack a door open for other things that really shouldn't develop. You say, well, I'm thinking that <laughs> just because an erroneous thought comes to our mind doesn't mean we should honor it by giving voice to it. Just because an uncharitable thought comes to our mind doesn't mean we should dignify it by giving voice to it. It may come into your mind as any number of things may. But don't choose to give it life by putting it out there. May God help us have wisdom on this. Let me show you another one with this. And we're progressing in the more accusatory as we go and, and blaming God. This isn't a strange thing here I'm talking about. This isn't an unknown thing. And this debilitates and cripples people spiritually, wrecks relationships on a regular basis. Because when we blame God, to whatever degree we blame Him, we do not worship Him. You say, well, Mary fell down His feet. She did. And then something. And I told you the blame was very mild, but yet the question was there, wasn't it? And the more blame someone puts on God, why, why in the world would you seek to have a close relationship with somebody that you're blaming for something? It's like just in a moment when I do something very honoring to Wesley here because he's nodding off, he's going to be able to blame me for that. Right? But in truth, it'll be because he's sleeping while I'm preaching. So whatever happens next, I'm not to blame That'll keep our relationship sweet and I'll enjoy the service. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to have fun in church too. You did pretty good. I, it took me a minute to notice you were sitting still for a minute and, and completely upright, and then you started going around like this, like you're winding up for something. Um, you're gonna wind up on the on the chair in front of you if you tip forward. But the second example goes more extreme. Look at Matthew chapter twenty-five. It's very hard to trust somebody you blame for something. I won't use the word impossible. If you want to paint with that broad of a brush, I'll allow you to, but I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, and it can be very hard to trust God in a significant way that influences your decisions. We talk about trusting God. We're not talking about some kind of, oh, this feels good, certain thing. When trusting God, what that looks like in our living 
is our behavior being affected by what's revealed in the Word of God. It has to do with what I taught you on Sunday about when there's a uh, something we're doing and the Word of God we see goes against we it goes against what we're doing that we side with the Word of God. That's what trusting God's like. And so Matthew 25, it gets more severe here with it. Matthew 25, look at verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. That's a totally in your face thing he does. It's interesting. You probably know this account. And of course, one man had been given five talents. Those were amounts of money. It's quite a lot of money. However, what type of, what type of talent it was. Another man was given two. And another man was given one. And you remember the man who was given five talents. He had something in common with the man who was given one talent. And the Bible said that their master, their Lord that gave those to him, he gave to everyone according to their several ability. The one who had five talents was capable of using what was given to him and being productive with it. It was not something to overwhelm him. The one that had two talents was also capable of what he had been given responsibility-wise. And... The one that had one talent was also capable of using what he'd been given. They were given appropriate responsibility loads by their Lord. He, the Lord went away. The master did. He comes back. And the one with five, you remember he gained five more, didn't he? And that was good. And the master was very happy with that. Why? Because that servant was taking what his master had given to him and was using it and operating with it like his master would if he was there. Because as a steward being trusted with something, his job is not to do his own thing. His job is to know what the master wants done and do it. The one with the two, same thing. And by the way, received exactly the same praise as the one with five. Then comes this guy. One talent. He is the only one who claims special knowledge of the Master. That, that is so telling. I know I've mentioned before. You deal with a lot of people who make a religious excuse for why they're not doing what they ought to do. You would find out how dominant that thinking is. He, he has special knowledge. Well, if you have special knowledge, why didn't you do what the Master said? If you know your Master so well, then why don't you act like your Master? But he didn't. And then he goes right into this full-on attack on his master. He said, I knew thee. Thou art a hard man. You know he's not complimenting. He's not saying you're tough. He's not saying you're strong. You're a hard man. Could we add a little prepositional phrase to it? To your word for it? You're a hard man. He said, you reap where you haven't sowed and you gather where you haven't strawed. I was afraid. Well, guess who is he saying that's... Whose fault is that? 
He's saying it's the masters. He's saying, you're such a hard man. You're such a... Your expectations scared me so badly that I was paralyzed and couldn't do anything. And the reason I could not do anything with what you gave me was because you have unrealistic expectations and it's your fault that I don't get this done. Then the ultimate in your face, after clearly understanding, after clearly laying out word by word how his master operates, admitting thereby that he knew he was supposed to make a profit with what his master gave him, he says, I hid your talent. He says, thine talent. He says, he admits it. I hid your talent in the earth. There thou hast that is thine. You know what I said to That's all you deserve. You got no right to profit. Now we understand this is talking about talents and the Lord was teaching things about that. But can you see this in the context of blaming God? Because that's exactly what He does. By the way, uh, some of you have reviews on your job. How'd that review go? And turn out so well, did it? Why? Because His Master says, you knew. And your own words have condemned you because you've admitted you knew what was expected of you. It's interesting. He apparently was willing to be employed by that master. He apparently was willing to get whatever benefit he could get from being under the umbrella of that master's wealth, that master's property, that master's provision. He was willing to do all that, but he was not willing to do with what his master gave him what the master wouldn't have done. And then he blamed the master. I can't be a witness for Jesus. God made me shy. You really think that's going to hold on? That may keep you off a platform. That may keep you from joining the choir. That may keep you from getting up in front of the class. That's no excuse not to be a witness. Do you know some of us who obviously are not shy? And we have an outgoing personality. There are people in this world, very misguided, who just think we're obnoxious. They miss the beauty of it all. Um, and the comment like what I just made, which is making one choke me. Maybe that's you, but please don't choke me. Um, but really, that personality, without trying to be overbearing, that personality that walks into a group and, hey, how's everything going? I, there are a couple people in town today. I scared them to death. I didn't mean to. I saw them. I was an elderly couple. And I said, how are you doing today? I didn't realize I was bouncing that much. And they went, <laughs> look at them. They're like, okay. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> down. Down. So uh, do you know, they may not particularly want to talk to the guy who's bouncing towards them. You may be just that person they want to talk to. But we can't blame God. Well, God, I would, have, I would have stayed true to you, but somebody I cared about went whatever. God, I'd have stayed true to you, but somebody I had confidence in 
in my spiritual life, maybe even somebody who is a leader in my spiritual life, they, whatever, fill in the blank. I had two items, not in our church here, I had two items brought to my attention today, either one which would break your heart a dozen times over. And I love the response of the one pastor. He talked about a very heartbreaking situation that just very recently happened among their congregation. And I like him because he, he wasn't running his people down. He just a very hard real life situation happened. And uh, his whole attitude with it was, you know, God's still doing a great work. And he pointed out that some people who were very greatly affected by this, this event, how they had responded by going to the Lord. They're always saved people, but they're faithful. And they're just like, okay, how do we, how do, we do our part of what's right? You know, that kind of thinking that doesn't blame God causes us to be able to actually be useful. This fellow with the one talent. And then worst of all, look in Exodus chapter 17. And this one went so far blaming God, it cost a generation. The blessing and fullness of God completely. You know, God's purposes are going to be fulfilled. But that does not guarantee that either you or I will be, be involved in them and a part of them. That will be determined by the choices we make. His purposes are going to be fulfilled with or without us. It does well to learn from God's book where our God is headed and what His purposes are and get in line with that. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Now, you got to admit, that's a serious situation, especially in a very hot, arid climate. How long would your, the small ones in this room last without any kind of liquid in a very hot, arid climate? What kind of fear would that be? But I want you to see that facing some very difficult situations does not give us a license to blame God. And more importantly, if we're saved people and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, then what He's trying to accomplish in us is having a heart that doesn't want to blame God. A heart that where we are upset at ourselves if we find ourselves blaming God. That's what God's trying to work in us. But let's see what happened here. For This says things which were written aforetime were written for our learning. And so let's learn something from it. Verse 2. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Say, was it wrong for them to ask for water? No, but it was wrong for them to chide. 
That's a smart aleck, smart mouth in your face. Oh, you going to give us water? It's not, we're thirsty, we need water. It's a completely different spirit. And said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And so he deals with them about the way they're doing this. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? Now wait a minute. Did Moses bring them up? He's called the man that brought them up. But who actually brought them up out of Egypt? Ultimately it was God. And they know that. And that's shown in other scripture. Yes, you can accurately say Moses' man brought them up out of Egypt. But they usually use that term when they wanted to say something against God. They did that before they made the golden calf. Where is this one that brought us up out of Egypt? What's become of him? You see, they would turn it that way. In other words, in their language, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, at first, they wouldn't say, well, God did this to us. Instead, they would choose God's servant and attack him. They, but they were complaining against God. What he did. Watch what happens. And they said, verse 3, at the end of, the, end of that again, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? Why would you do this? And they assign a motive. To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. Do you know how hateful of a thing it would be for one of us to say to someone else in this room, I know what you want to do. You want to kill me. I know you're trying to hurt me. Or to walk over to somebody that's here in this congregation and say, I know what you're doing. You're trying to hurt my kids. That Would that be severe? But to say about the God of heaven and the servant he has sent from him. I'll tell you why he brought us out. Tell you why the Red Sea split. Tell you why our children were spared at the Passover lamb. I'll tell you why we saw all that went on. I'll tell you why we found those, those uh, uh, waters uh, afterwards and cast in trees. And I'll tell you why. Because you're wanting to kill us. God will tell you what you did. You brought us completely out of bondage just so you could drag us out here where we can't take care of ourselves and you want to kill us. Why don't you just leave us alone? Modern day vernacular. I was better off for it, I say. Well, I don't know what getting saved did for me. I did sell out to God. I was serious about it. And then everything fell apart. Didn't work for me. Thus revealing that to you, Christianity is the acquisition of comfort. This thing of blaming God becomes very, very, very serious. And I am not, and biblically should not, run them together, would not be rightly dividing the word of truth. I am not in any way saying what Mary and Martha said is equivalent to what they said. And I've tried to be careful not to portray that. There's a lot of silly statements that are made. One sin's as bad as another. Where'd you get that from? It wasn't in the King James Bible. Now if you want to say all transgression of God's law is sin, you're right. Check out some sins that death penalty on. 
If you want to say all sin is wrong, you're correct about that. If you say all sin is breaking out, you're correct about that. But I'll tell you what, there's a, uh, there's a difference between some things. So I'm not trying to equate these, and I'm not being outlandish. And what I began this with, and you see now why I was careful with it, is that first blaming, which you almost, almost wouldn't call blaming because of circumstance and what they said and what followed up. But while we want to avoid, we want to avoid opening a door by getting in any form of a habit of in our mind, in our heart, passing judgment on our God about what goes on in our lives. We may question some things. We may have serious questions about things. We may ask questions like, why did that happen? I don't understand why that happened. There's a difference between that and blaming God. Especially when it goes to the status of God had no right to. We have to be very careful. Um, Understanding that God is not to be blamed and truly believing that fact is at the heart of true repentance and renewal in our relationship with Him. In the 11 verse long penitential psalm of David, Psalm 51, which is, we could say, is the gold standard of showing what it's like to get right with God in the Bible. In the fourth verse of those 11 verses that make up that powerful, powerful psalm, a little phrase is there. And David, out of a true heart of repentance, says to and about God, he said that thou mayest be clear when thou judgest. In other words, God, you have a right to do anything you want to me. And I recognize that. When in our reasoning and our inner man, we start blaming God and thinking about the inequities that He's, if He has not personally foisted upon us, that He has allowed to come to us. When we start thinking in this manner, we are headed towards transgression. We are headed towards spiritual barrenness. And we are headed towards a potentiality for corruption that should actually scare us. On the opposite side of that, and showing the clearest example, I think, in the Bible of the absence of that is Brother Job. Look back there in the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. Now, I'll not recount all the things that happened, but events happened in such rapid succession to Job, any one of which would have been devastating emotionally, mentally. And they happened in such rapid succession he had not even time to catch his breath or anything else. 
Some people are very good at compartmentalizing. It can be a strength and that can also be a way of entombing yourself. It can also be a, an open door for sin. It's how people can live two completely opposite lives at the same time. Brother Job, he had this happen in such rapid succession, there was no, no, no chance for any of that. And after this avalanche of sorrow has hit him, after this great flood of, uh, of devastating things has hit him, verse 20 of Job 1, it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground. He's utterly devastated. And what did he do? He worshipped. How could he worship at a time like that? It's because of what was missing as much as what was present. What was missing was blame. Blaming God. It's evidence in what God has recorded for all eternity here. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Why is it people never get angry at God for being blessed? Why is it people never get angry at God because they have a comfort of some type? Why is it no one ever looks and says, God, I have food every day and I, I'm cared for and all that. Why? because they take the Lord giveth. But react totally differently to the Lord taketh away. And if the Lord actually gives us something, if we really believe it comes from the Lord, it is His prerogative to take it. And His purpose in taking something may be as profound, if not more, than His purpose in giving it. May God help us. I'm telling you as your pastor, this kind of message scares me to preach. Because all throughout it, I'm keenly aware of my own inadequacies to be as Brother Job was. But we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God's Word. And we can't think of circumstances that we've never faced and say, well, I couldn't take it. Well, you can't take thinking about it because you don't have the grace for it. It hasn't happened. But if day by day you've walked with your Lord, if day by day you follow Him, 
than that day that you can't imagine how you could take. If it does come to you, as that day comes, your God will be there too. And then after a while, you look back and say, I didn't know how I was going to make it through that. But let me tell you how good God was. Don't ever short circuit what God wants to do in you and through you through blessing and trials. Don't ever short circuit by blaming the only one who has ever loved you purely in your entire life. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your word and what a sobering message. God, uh, help us to take it as such. And quit putting you on trial. Lord, I've spoken to my brothers and sisters about a need we all have. And Lord, you know how keenly I feel it too. And God, I don't want to blame you. I just don't want to blame you. And Father, I pray you'll help us in our frailty. And God, may we please take responsibility for what's ours. May you receive honor. May you receive worship. May you receive praise. God, may there be a group of people here in this place that love you and let that love be known. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Why don't you come even as the first note of invitation, please? That would be something you bring before the Lord.